couple weeks ago, we, we had 21 people get, get water baptized, and uh, uh, it's awesome celebrating people moving from death to life in, in a spiritual sense, and so, man, we celebrate with them, and we're excited to see what God is doing in a lot of different people's lives here today, but uh, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us this morning, and uh, I, I, this has been, I don't know about you guys, but it, it's been a tough couple weeks. Anybody else kind of with me on that a little bit? I mean, it's just been Whew, it's just been it's just been hard, and uh, I, 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 it's it's just been crazy. And uh, this this past week, we got to do an event at CBG with uh, a lady named Crystal Miller, and and she said two things. I got to spend some time with her. Uh, she is a Columbine sub- survivor, and I, I got to spend some time with her before everybody else kind of got there to before she went on stage. And uh, I, I said, Crystal, what is, what is the key to moving forward? What what happened in your community that changed everything? you guys. She said two things that were really, really important to us. And uh, I, I, she said, one is, is that we lived our life to the fullest. It's the greatest uh, uh, memory we could give or the greatest thing we could do for those that lost their lives is live our life to the fullest. And number two is to remember that how we get through this is together. And, uh, and so I was thinking about that all this week. And uh, I, I want to talk about finding our people today because I think Finding your people is so, so critical in life, and uh, I, I'm just going to be honest, I, I've struggled all this week with, with how to message this well, and so I'm just going to do the best that I can. Can you, can you guys give me some grace today? Is that possible? Uh, I just, I don't ever really ask for that, but I, I feel like this week, uh, I, I kind of need that a little bit, because... The best way to, for us to identify where we're going um, is, is really comes down to two things. If you want to know where you're going and where you're going to end up in life, uh, I, I can pretty much summarize it in two things. You can look at two areas of your life and know where you're heading. Number one is the choices you make. Number two is the people you hang with. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's really that simple in life. And if you look at your life, and if you want to change everything about your life, all you have to do is look at those two, those two decisions right there. Those two decisions that you make, your, your everyday choices and the people you choose to surround yourself with is going to determine a lot of your future. A lot of people ask, how did I end up right here? How did I get to this place in life? And uh, if we were to go and we were to start to look, uh, for the majority of us, the reason we're at a destination we are is, is because previous choices and our tomorrows are going to be determined by the choices that we make today. And so I would encourage you to look at the decisions that you're making every single day, and they are critical to your future. But with that, one of the biggest predicators of your future is who you surround yourself with. It's the company you keep. It's your tribe and life. And see, I can, I can look at your life, and I can look at the people that are around your life, and I can tell you more about your future by looking at the people you surround yourself with than I can by looking at you. And that is because the people you surround yourself with, your people in life, your tribe, uh, whether you realize it or not, is determining a direction in your life. And a lot of people think, well, I'm just sinking on my own, and there's just other people that are sinking around me. No, no, no. It's that you're all on the same ship that is sinking in life. See, whether we realize it or not, we're all in a boat with some other people. And some of those people are rowing in a certain direction. And if we don't check ourselves, we'll end up wrecking ourselves. Because a lot of times they're rowing in a direction of a life that you don't want to live. 
And so we've got to recognize that, that who we surround ourselves with, who our people are, who our tribe is, determines so much of our life. And if we were to start to unpack your life that you don't like or you don't want, and we were to start to assess some of the decisions you make, all of a sudden we would go, here are some different choices you have to make to live that future that you want. Here are some different things that you need to decide if you want to have the destiny that you determine in your heart. But a lot of times what we want is we want a new future with the same old crowd. And that's not really how a new life works. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but people are drawn to people for a reason. Have you ever noticed critical people always seem to have a lot of critical friends? Like critical people seem to have a circle of people that are really good at critiquing all the time. Why? Because critical people attract critical people. Have you ever noticed that negative people always seem to hang around with other negative people? Like hopeful people don't hang out with negative people. You know who they hang out with? Hopeful people. You know who faithful people hang out with? People that are faithful as well. And so you got to be able to look at your life and go, man, are the people that I'm surrounding myself committed to living the life that I want to have in my future, or are they leading me to some other place? Are they leading me somewhere that I don't really want to end up? Because if you want to know your future, all you have to do is look at the people that you are committed to and that are committed to you, and all of a sudden it starts to clarify what your future is going to look like. And I believe that if you'll find your tribe, if you'll find your people, you will start to discover your future. And one of the things that I love about Scripture and I love about God's Word is that God has this unbelievable ability to pull back the curtain of people's lives and show the pathway to their success in life, the pathway to their ability to overcome, their pathway to them living a victorious life. And a lot of times we think it as individuals as great, but what we fail to realize is we individualize things that were done with a team of people. We think about the great people in history, the, the Napoleons in history, the Caesars of history, the Martin Luther King Juniors of history, the Steve Jobs of history. And we say, man, they did some incredible things, but they never accomplished any of those things by themselves. Napoleon had a France behind him. The Caesars had a Roman Empire behind them. Steve Jobs had an entire creative team at Apple behind them. And so nobody ever achieved that success by themselves. They had a community. They, they had a tribe that they ascribed to. And I think one of the greatest examples of this in Scripture is a guy named David who would eventually be the king of Israel. And if you were to look at David's life, it was such an interesting life because he, he was like kind of just cut from a different cloth. He was a rarity when it comes to individualized that would just rise above the noise of life. He was not only a, a warrior, but he was also a psalmist. He was not only a king, but he was a musician. And, and God had, had anointed him to eventually be the king of Israel, but he wasn't yet the king. And see, what I know about a lot of us is that God has put some dreams and desires and, and uh, uh, aspirations in all of our hearts. In fact, some of us, we've gotten a glimpse of our future and we have this desire to live that future out. And a lot of us think that we should just get there instantaneously. But God doesn't just take us there instantaneously. He brings us along a process to help us become the person that could sustain that kind of success in life and what he's called us to be and who he's called us to surround ourselves with and so there's a scripture in first chronicles chapter 12 that i think is is really critical for us to understand 
why David was so successful, why, what his tribe kind of looked like. And it says this, it says, day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army, like the army of God. These are the numbers of men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. So here's this transitional period between David and King Saul. King Saul had chosen to no longer follow God's ways. And because he had done that, God went searching for a new king that would honor him. And he found David who was a man after God's own heart. And so in this day, if you were going to play the safe way, if you're going to live in the side of safety and security, you would commit your life to King Saul because that was known, that was what was already in power. But yet, if you wanted to live for the future of what God had, you would commit yourself to David because God has this calling on David's life. And, and I think this is a tension that a lot of us have in life. We have a, a past that we all know, a past that we've all experienced, that we know what that looks like, feels like, tastes like, smells like. And so it's very, very easy for us to commit ourselves to a life that we've already lived rather than stepping into a calling of following God into the unknown of life, into the future of what he has for us. And a lot of us, what happens is we choose to stay back and resist God rather than moving forward into what God has. But I think the critical aspect of us moving forward into that is realizing that there is a tribe, that there is a people that God wants to have around us that are committed to moving forward into the future that God has for them. And as we surround ourselves with those kind of people, those people as they're moving in the future are going to cause us to move into the future with them, which is going to move us closer to the future that God has for us. See, for us to find our tribe, for us to find our people, it comes down to this word that is not very culturally relevant in our community anymore. In fact, it's a word that, that we don't really like using any word anymore, and it's this word commit. Everybody say commit. See, you, some of y'all had trouble. I know it would be a lot louder if you all said it. But you're like, commit. We struggle with commitment today because we live in a culture that's terrified of commitment. I mean, we, we live in a day and an age where we don't commit to anything because we have FOMO, fear of missing out on something. In fact, we don't even know how to commit to each other anymore. Look at the marriage statistic. Less than 50% of adults are married today. Why? Because they're afraid of commitment, which is just ascribing to a deeper issue within our society. And we're terrified of committing to a people, so what we do instead is we commit to a cause because we think a cause will never let us down because we know that people will. And so it's easy for us to go, man, I'm jumping in with this cause because it's not really people. It's an issue rather than realizing God has created us for community. God has created us for a people. And what you find is people that live out their dreams and destiny and don't settle for anything less and maximize their capacity always find their tribe. And not only do they find their tribe and people, but they commit to those people. And I love the backdrop here, at what it says in verse 22. It says, day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. Now, I don't know why we don't make a bigger deal out of this right here. Because I don't know about you. Do you know how hard it is to commit to another human being? Man, it is hard. And these guys 
who were powerful in their own right, who were successful in their own right, who had their own dreams and desires and aspirations, who could have gone and conquered and ruled lands day by day by day, came to help David build the future that God had given David. And see, without these individuals coming along day by day by day, David would have never been able to accomplish the vision that God had given him. See, it's important for us to remember that, that what God wants to do in your life is never going to be achieved by you alone. You're going to need some people in your tribe. You're going to need some people in your community that are around you that are going to help you move to that level of success. In fact, I was with a, a guy at our church a couple weeks ago who, who's an MMA fighter in our church. And, and, and when I think about MMA fighting, I think about two individuals in an octagon. And you would think it's such an uh, individualized sport. But as I was talking to him, I was, I was asking him questions. And he said, man, one of the reasons for my success is that I have some great coaches around me. I have some great sparring partners around me. I have some, some great people so that when I get in the octagon, I've had all the preparation and all the community I need so I can be successful when I'm by myself. And see, what we fail to realize is that there are some people in life that need to be in our lives that are committed to our lives. And so what I want us to realize is that God has got people waiting to commit to you. Just like he had waiting to commit to David. And I don't know about you, but I find this so helpful in this season, because when I'm saying to myself, God, I need help. I feel like I'm all alone. God, like, what are you going to do in this moment? God has people day by day by day coming into my life to help me. God has people day by day by day coming into your life to help you. And God is just waiting for you to have the courage to step out and to be a part of that community, to be a part of that people, to have the courage to believe that if he calls you, he's got a people to help you. He's got a people to be with you and that day by day, people are coming your way. And I don't know about you, but that should give you a different kind of posture in your life when it comes to adversity. And I'm convinced that part of that's one of the beautiful things about the local churches is why we come together and commit to one another, where we bind our hearts and our lives together in this place to commit to one another, to not just accomplish our own dreams, but to accomplish one another's dreams. I know that my life is an endless novel of people that have come beside me to help me accomplish the God-given dreams in my life. And, and, and all of my credibility in life has come from other people believing in the dream that God has for my life. And everywhere I've gotten is because people came alongside to help me. And it says, day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army, like the army of God. Not the army of God, but an army like it. And I believe that God is building an army of people to help you become the person that you're supposed to be, to live out the destiny that God has given you, to live the life that God has created you. And, 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 and part of what he wants you to know is that those people are out there. Even when you feel all alone, you're not, you, you might feel alone because you aren't moving forward, but God is bringing people into your life day by day to help you. And so I would ask you is who is already committed to you and you don't even realize it yet? 
Because you haven't been looking around to people that are already committed to you. Because here's what you know. When they committed to God, they committed to you. But I also want to flip it the other way too. Because has it ever occurred to you that just as God has people that are committed to you to fulfill your destiny, your hopes, and your dreams, and your aspirations, to get you through the junk that you're in right now, that he has brought you to be committed to other people's hopes, dreams, and lives as well? That your life isn't just to revolve around your hopes and your dreams, but actually your life is to be a help to see other people's hopes and dreams and aspirations come to fruition and that maybe God is moving you day by day by day so that you could play a role in somebody else's life becoming all that God has called them to be. It's one of the reasons why I think that we've got to keep our eyes and our hearts open that we aren't simply living this life alone or for ourselves but God is trying to move us forward so that we can impact other people's lives. It's why it's so important for us to Find our people. And I hear this all the time. I hear people say, well, you know what? I just can't find community. I, I hear them say that about our church. I hear them say that about some of the most healthy, vibrant, growing churches. And they go, man, I just couldn't find community there. And know what I've come to realize after a while is that if you can't find community here, it's not because there's not community here. It's because you don't know how to do community. It's because you don't know how to do life with other people. And if you're here and you're like, man, I just can't seem to make any friends, I'm just going to tell you that's not because of us. It's just, it's just not. Because honestly, you probably can't make friends anyway. Just being honest here. Because everything here is leveraged towards your success. Because people have given their lives to Jesus and have decided that they are going to be your friends even when you're not friendly. Okay, we're just going to get real because you've, you've heard this before. I love you, but I don't like you. You know what that means? It means I don't like you. See, but what the church does is it brings together people who would likely never get together. And because of Jesus, it makes us care about people that we would likely never, ever care about. It makes us invest in people that we probably wouldn't even know existed if it wasn't for this community. It, it, it makes us see people that we'd probably never, ever see if it wasn't for Jesus in our lives but because of what God has done in our lives, instead of not seeing those people, now we are committed to those people and seeing God do immeasurably more in their lives. And part of what creates a people is when we decide that we're going to commit to one another. Is when we dive in and say, listen, I know you're not perfect. I know you're jacked up and you're messed up and you got issues and I've got issues. But in spite of all those issues and in spite of all those flaws, I am committed to you. See, I've, I've made the mistake of telling people, listen, you come to Coastal, you're going to find a lot of friends. And, 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 and honestly, I don't think it's our responsibility to help you find friends. 
I believe that the responsibility of the church is to help you learn how to be a friend. And if we can teach you how to be a friend, you can take that gift with you anywhere you go. And if you'll learn how to be a friend, you'll know what it's like to have friends. Because in order to have friends, you got to be a friend. But here's the thing about that, is you got to commit. And the tricky thing about commitment is in our society, we're always waiting for the other person to commit before we commit. I need you to step into this and commit, and then, then I'm all in. But here's the thing. God is calling us to be the bigger person, to be the more mature person, and go, hey, you know what? I'm going to commit to your success even if you're not committed to mine. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus said, man, I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm committing to your success even if you don't ever acknowledge that I want success for you. It says, David had men come day by day by day. And when I was reading this, I started thinking about Jesus and how the early church began and how he began to call disciples and, and, and how that tribe was kind of formed. And, and as I was thinking about that, I, I thought about the, the fact that Jesus asked people to commit. But what he also did, so if number one is commit, number two would be he invited. He invited you want to know how to find your tribe? You commit to some people, and then you invite some people into your tribe. See, there needs to be some people around you that you commit your life to, but there also needs some people, be some people that you don't even know, and you need to bring them into your tribe. You need to bring them into your people because they desperately need to belong somewhere. This is what it says in John 1. Verse 35, it says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was, <laughs> excuse me, it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and then followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, can you imagine being Andrew and you're following John? This is John the Baptist and he's pointing to one that's coming and all of a sudden he goes, look, there he is. And you just abandon this God that you've been following. And all of a sudden you start following Jesus and you're, you're in the background and Jesus turns around and very awkwardly like, what are you doing? It's like an awkward moment. You're like, hey, dude, I just want to go wherever you're going. And Jesus says, well, why don't you come along and follow me? And along the way, instead of just following him, you go and you find your brother Simon, and you say, dude, you got to come check out this guy. The God, the one that we've been looking for, the Messiah, is here. And as you get to Jesus, Jesus totally overlooks you and goes, hey, you're Simon. Listen, your name is no longer going to be Simon. It's going to be Cephas. You are my rock. And you're Andrew, and you're like, hey, what's up, Jesus? I found you first, dude. Like, that's my brother. I brought my brother here. You gave him a name. What's my name? And Jesus is like, I got a new name for you, too. You want to know your name? And you're like, yeah, I want to know my name. You are now Peter's brother. <laughs> awesome. See, what I noticed is 
when somebody found life in Jesus, their first response was to bring other people into that life. See, when you find your people, you not only commit to those people, but you invite people into those people. Because when you find life, when you find God, when you find peace, when you find hope, it's not something that we just keep to ourselves. And we don't envy what God starts doing in somebody else's life. In the middle of it. Here's the interesting thing. This isn't just a singular occurrence, but there's a pattern that starts happening. If you look in verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to follow, to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote. Can J- and, and Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? It's like saying, Pompano, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel was like, man, I don't know. Why don't you just come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you what I, that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. So here's Nathaniel following Jesus, and, and all of a sudden, he's overwhelmed by the fact that God has come flesh in life, and it's right before him and before his eyes. And so he runs over to, to uh, uh, Nathaniel. Philip runs over to him and says, listen, I found the one that we've been looking for. And he's like, where is he from? They're like, Pompano. No. He's like, I don't care. You just got to come check it out. And he drags him over. And as, as soon as he drags him over, Jesus looks at Nathaniel and goes, man, here's an Israelite with whom there's no deceit. And Philip's like, well, what about me? Maybe a little bit of deceit in me, but I know, like, I I brought him here. Have you ever felt like God just keeps overlooking you? Like God just keeps seeing other people? But what I love about these stories is that, man, when people find life, they're eager to share that life with others and to invite others into that life and Philip didn't care that Jesus highlighted Nathaniel, and Andrew didn't care that Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. Because when you discover love, love compels you to share it with anyone and everyone. And to give it away to every single person you encounter. See, we forget that we're living in a world that is broken. And longing for something that things and relationships and people and careers can never fill. There's a longing within their soul for the creator of the universe. That we have the opportunity to share with every single person. Jesus is trying to teach us to find our people. 
not only find our people and commit to them, but invite other people to be a part of our tribe, to be a part of our community. As Peter discovered this, this is what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a royal, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Then he jumps down to verse 9, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What Peter is saying is he's saying, listen, find your people. See, we got to understand that God is building a people. See, you and I, we've always been a person. But God isn't looking for a person. He's looking to build a people because he knows as an individual, we can only do so much. But together, we can do incredible, incredible things. And he's saying, man, we've got to be committed to the hard work of loving and extending grace and mercy to broken and fragmented people, even though they might hurt us and they might say things. We've got to reach out and commit to them and invite them into this life that we've experienced. I had somebody this week as I was out at one of the vigil sites and I was talking with this person and I, I, I don't know who they are. They, they just knew who I was and they said, you know what, Pastor TJ, you know what I love about Coastal? He said, I love that it's not too big, which basically meant that it's small enough for me. What I want to say is, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us that, that if we have what the world so desperately needs inside of our soul, we should be brokenhearted that we're too small? See, we got to commit, and we got to invite, but Peter is telling us, man, we've got to build. Because God is building us together. In verse 5, it says, you also like living stones. Remember, he was called Peter the rock. He, this isn't just something that he goes, Jesus didn't just make me the rock. He made us all a rock. He made us all a living stone. He says, we are like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Did you know that you're being built into a spiritual house? Not by yourself, because that just makes you a brick. But when we come together, we are a brick house. Why are we a brick house? Because the world desperately needs a place they can call home. And so brick by brick, God brings us together as a people who aren't a people so that we can become a people. So that those who have not known mercy can 
have mercy so that those that have never been accepted can find a home. And this imagery isn't about buildings. It's about us as individuals. It's about us as humans, as a people. There's something powerful that happens when we come together and we commit to one another and we invite other people together and we build each other up. So that other people can have a home. See, when we come together, we become a people. See, we all need God, but that isn't the only way that God designed you, just to need Him. He designed us to need each other. And so when we start to follow Christ, it isn't that we don't need people in our life. People become more important in our life. And some of us, we need to experience the healing that only comes in the context of community. When I was growing up, my parents owned a, a large construction business. And I remember going on a job site with my stepdad one day to check out this woman's home. She had had some work done in her master bedroom. And she had had this really cool brick wall built in her master bedroom as this focal point. And... Uh, her bed was in the center of it, and there was these really cool, like, restoration hardware sconces there, and there's all these outlets along the wall that had plugs into it. The only problem is, is the contractor that she had hired did kind of some shoddy work, and so those sconces that were up on the wall didn't work, and the plugs that were on the bottom of this beautiful brick wall that was this accent wall that kind of made the room what it was, none of them worked. And so she called us up because my stepdad was a master in remodels. And and in order to have power there, some of the wall was going to have to come down. And here's what I know about some of us in here. Some of us have spent our life building a house putting on a great facade and a great exterior, but inside that house, there is no light. Inside those walls, there is no power. And some of us, we're, we're terrified of giving our lives to Jesus because we think to ourselves, well, he's going to have to take down some of these bricks. He's going to have to take down some of these things in order to make this work. And you're probably right, Jesus is going to have to take down some of those things. But see, Jesus doesn't just want to build a brick wall with your life. He wants to build your life out of a living stone. And some of us, we've just been building our lives with a facade of bricks. And today is the day that we need to tap into the source of light. We need to tap into the source of power so that we can live a, a life that is above and beyond what we're currently experiencing. And that only happens when we commit. And maybe you're here today and you need to make that commitment to Jesus. Maybe today is the day you say, you know what, I'm going to stop building my life with bricks and I'm going to start to build my life with the living stone. Would you guys bow your heads as we get ready to pray? Pastor Josh, would you lead us in prayer?